Well, we next start, and we're going to go on to <coughs> Deuteronomy 21. And we'll read some verses of that in a moment. But I came across a quotation uh, the other day, and I just want to read this and a few other bits and pieces as usual. This is by a man called Dick York, who was a missionary trainer. There are promises in the Word of God that don't seem much like promises to some folks. For instance, this one. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That means all those whose purpose of heart is to live godly lives in this present world shall suffer persecution. As he says here, shall certainly suffer persecution, as did their Lord. Maybe we contemplate such verses and think they should say something different. Perhaps something like, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall be appreciated for their goodness and rewarded with approval, good health and fortune. There is Paul's statement to the Philippines that declares, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Perhaps we would be more comfortable if that were to read, For unto you it is given, not only to believe on him, but also to be blessed with health, wealth and prosperity. But it doesn't say that. It says what it says and you know I, I, I read that and <coughs> I, uh, I got a little uh, thing about Warren Rick Warren the other day and he was speaking at the 8th Muslim Public Affairs Council Convention in California and here's what he said in the middle of it my attitude is you don't have to see eye to eye to walk hand in hand and he said that to this group of Muslims uh, he doesn't have to see eye to eye with them but he can walk hand in hand with them and I, I, was, I was amazed at that actually and what does Paul say writing to the Ephesians Ephesians 4 17 and this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in vanity of their mind he was all delighted Warren said he was honoured that he had been invited to come along and speak to them but Paul says something completely different and if you go to Amos Amos 3 verse 3 what does the Bible say can two walk together except they be agreed Warren says you don't have to see eye to eye to walk hand in hand he's a very dangerous character this guy Rick Warren there's another bit here about Tony Blair he continues to push for a global spirituality that is linked with economics and politics this is a three-legged stool again and Warren has this three-legged stool 
And one of the three-legged stools he says to support globalization is faith, people of faith, not necessarily Christian faith. He says this, what Blair is on about, it's, it's similar to the purpose-driven P-E-A-C-E plan that operates on a three-legged stool principle. Blair went on, <coughs> globalization needs a solid basis of values to succeed. Faith is one way to provide a value system, a value system for globalization, but not the only way. And he was speaking to hundreds of students and professors at Yale University after completing his first semester as a visiting professor. Blair's hour-long speech on Thursday was focused on whether or not a value system could be introduced to globalization and how. The problems we face today cannot be solved without alliances, and alliances won't work without common values. Blair says his experience at Yale has strengthened his belief that religious, economic, and social globalization are all linked together. Multicultural and multi-religious societies are the result of pushing people together, and now spiritual capital and human capital need to be linked, he argued. Unless we find a way of reconciling faith and globalization, the world will be a more dangerous place, said Blair. It's all strange, isn't it? Of course, Blair became a Roman Catholic. And here's an interesting thing. The Pope, you see, the, it exposes the pagan links that the Roman Catholic Church has. Wait till I tell you this. A very interesting point is made by the Pope in the following article. The obelisk that is found in the middle of St. Peter's Square provides an important object for the construction of a sundial that helps to, to determine whether the solstice day and when it occurs. The longest shadow and therefore the shortest day of the year in Rome. Pagan religions were obsessed with the winter solstice. They thought that the, the, the sun was going to disappear altogether so they, they worshipped it and, and then it worked. The sun came back again and so they worshipped it again and that's how it all came about. But pagan religions were obsessed with the winter solstice because this was a day that there were often in communication with their gods. They worshipped, their pagan worship. Combining paganism and Christianity has always been part of the Roman Catholic system. If, they, if the pagans had a holiday and they sort of became half Christian, then the, the, the Roman Catholic Church got that a holiday and made it into a Christian one and that's what happened with Christmas while there is certainly nothing wrong probably <laughs> with celebrating a day to remember the birth of Jesus Christ the idea that the birth of Christ can and should be celebrated on a day consistent with pagan worship the solstice you see and that's inconsistent with the word of God and here's what the Vatican News uh, said about Pope 
Benedict. He gave a brief lesson on the unity between faith and science. And during the, his reflection on that, he offered before the Angelus, with the pilgrims in St. Peter's Square, the pontiff began from the observation that the feast of Christmas is connected to the winter solstice. Well, it is, because it was a pagan uh, holiday to start with. When the days in the Northern Hemisphere start to get longer again, after December the 21st. This highlights, the Pope says, the fact that Christ is the Son of Grace, who, with his light, transfigures and ignites the expectant universe, and that the mystery of Christmas also has a cosmic dimension in addition to its historical one. In this regard, the Pope said it may not be that everyone knows that St. Peter's Square is also a meridian. The obelisk, in fact, casts its shadow along a line that runs along the pavement toward the fountain under this window. And in these days, the shadow is at its longest of the year. So the shadow of the obelisk reaches the window from which he uh, gives out his, his sermons and things. He says, this reminds us of the function of astronomy in marking out the rhythm of prayer. The Angelus, for example, is recited in the morning, at noon, and in the evening, and with the meridian, which has, was used in ancient times to identify true noon, clocks were adjusted. All tying in the, 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 the worship at Christmas with pagan the solstice worship and sun worship. So, it's all very strange. I hope that was clear. Now, let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 21 and verses 1 to, to 9, I think we read. And you have to put up with my coughing, I'm afraid. Verse 1. If one be found slain in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee to possess, lying in the field, and it be not known who hath slain him, then thy elders and thy judges shall come forth, and they shall measure unto the cities which are round about him that is slain. And it shall be that the city which is next unto the slain man, even the elders of that city shall take a heifer, which hath not been wrought, <coughs> sorry, which hath not been wrought with, and which hath not drawn in the yoke. And the elders of that city shall bring down the heifer unto a rough valley, which is neither eared nor sown, and shall strike off the heifer's neck there in the valley. And the priests, the sons of Levi, shall come near. For them the Lord thy God hath chosen to minister unto him, and to bless in the name of the Lord, and by their word every, shall every controversy and every stroke be tried. And all the elders of that city, that are next unto the slain man, shall wash their hands over the heifer 
that is beheaded in the valley and they shall answer and say our hands have not shed this blood neither have our eyes seen it be merciful O Lord unto thy people Israel whom thou hast redeemed and lay not innocent blood unto thy people of Israel's charge and the blood shall be forgiven them <clears throat> you know today we're familiar with post-mortems and apparently they're more common now since Dr. Shipman a few years ago murdered all his patients so if one dies in suspicious circumstances we sometimes have coroners and inquests and post-mortems to establish the cause of death and you know in this passage we have probably the forerunner of today's inquests maybe you didn't realize that thousands of years ago God introduced this law of inquest we have all the facets here of a modern detective story investigation don't we we have the discovery of a body we have the, the search to discover the identity of the victim we have the investigators in this case the elders and the investigating judges perhaps like our coroner <laughs> and the most likely suspects who may have or may have committed it or who know something about the crime and then we have the pleas and statements of the witnesses and uh, the conclusion of this case of course is perhaps not very satisfactory from a detective's point of view because they didn't discover actually who had killed the man but you know we have something always to learn from the word of God and from this ancient investigation this inquest you know I'm always con conscious as we come to study uh, in the Old Testament the stories and types that we we be careful that we don't stretch the the um, the type too far and read to him uh, read something into it that we we don't uh, we shouldn't we want to be careful when we look at the word of God that we stick closely to what the Bible says actually we pray that God will guide us in this passage today you know before we go on to this let's remember remind ourselves the fact that God considered Israel as a unit as a, a nation and we, we pointed out before in Joshua chapter 7 we have the story of Achan Achan went in and he took of the accursed thing from Jericho when they were told not to not to take anything out of the city and of course he eventually was found out and God said to Joshua Israel hath sinned and they have also transgressed my covenant which I commanded them for they they have even taken of the accursed thing and have also stolen and dissembled also and they have put it 
even among their own stuff. Israel has sinned. God allowed uh, Israel then to go up and fight against Ai. And after that, God said, Israel hath sinned. They were treated as one group with common responsibility. And so, in this passage, when a man had been murdered, in the same sense, it would appear that Israel hath sinned. Innocent blood had been shed, therefore Israel hath sinned. Then, because of that, and resulting from it, either an individual would have to be punished, or it would appear the whole nation was accused of the crime. And in either case, justice and righteous judgment had to be maintained. And the principle in scripture is always, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And this had to apply in this story, if, if one individual had been found guilty, that would have had to happen. But as they treated the whole nation, Israel hath sinned, that same principle applied. Well, in this case, no individual seemed to have been found to be solely responsible for this man's death. And now, in this particular example before us today, we have a few very different types of the Lord Jesus Christ in different aspects of his redeeming work. In verse 1, if one be found slain in the land which the Lord thy God hath given thee to possess it, lying in the field, and it be not known who hath slain him. He's lying there in the field. One of the parables, Jesus said, the field is the world. Our Savior came into the world to save sinners. He came to die for the sins of mankind. And because each individual has sinned, his death was in that way the responsibility of all mankind. He had to die. Someone had to die to atone for the sins of all mankind. 1 Corinthians 15.22 For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. And Isaiah 53 verse 5 sort of shows this too. He was wounded for our transgressions, for the sins of the world. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Peter says in 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also hath once suffered for sins the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh but quickened by the spirit. And so in our example as no individual could be found guilty of the crime it became necessary for Israel 
to make expiation, to make atonement for the sin, some blood must be shed. And Christ Jesus, because of the sin of mankind, that was the reason he came, because man had fallen. If Adam had never sinned, the Lord Jesus Christ wouldn't have had to come to this earth. But because Adam died sinfully, therefore all of us are sinners. And Christ had to come to bring about the salvation. He had to come into the world and he had to die. And so we come to the second type in verses 3 and 4. And the elders of that city shall take a heifer that hath not been with not been wrought with that hath not drawn in the yoke and the elders of that city shall bring down the heifer unto an ever flowing water course which is not tilled nor is not sown and shall break the heifer's neck there in the water course I'm reading from the Derby translation there this heifer which the elders from the city brought down had never been under the control or the yoke of man never under man's influence it never had submitted to serve man in any way and what a beautiful picture that is of our Lord Jesus Christ he was in the world the world was made by him and the world knew him not he came unto his own and his own received him not he could say I have given them thy word and the world hath hated them because they are not of the world even as I am not of the world again he said in John 17 I am not of the world he had he was separate from the world as the heifer had not come under the control of anyone anything in the world Christ came into the world he lived in the world but he was not of the world and so he was slain for the sins of the world there was no other good enough to pay the price of sin he only could unlock the gate of heaven and let us in because of man's sin he was slain man was guilty and the heifer had to be slain so Christ had to be slain for the sins of the world from God's viewpoint he was the one sent into the world the father sent the son to be the saviour of the world now it's interesting actually that he was slain and where he was slain there was an ever-flowing water course an ever-flowing water course this was not a man-made irrigation channel in this rough infertile fruitless valley but a channel of fresh water God-given 
It's a picture to me of the stream of living water which would come into man's life through the death of our Saviour and the abundant grace of God. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veils and sin veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. The picture of the everlasting fountain that fountain filled with blood the dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day and there may have I though vile as he washed all my sins away dear dying lamb thy precious blood shall never lose its power till all the ransomed church of God be raised be saved to sin no more ere since by faith I sold the stream thy flowing wounds supply redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die everlasting life from the water of life you know Peter had this principle when he spoke to the, the people at Pentecost in Acts uh, <coughs> on the day of Pentecost beginning of Acts Verse, uh, chapter 2 and verse 22 ye men of Israel he said hear these words Jesus of Nazareth a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you as ye yourselves also know him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain go to verse 36 therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified he was accounting the death of Christ to all those people whom ye have crucified both Lord and Christ and now when they heard this they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles men and brethren what shall we do then Peter said unto them repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy, Spirit, the Holy Ghost here Peter speaking to the Jews shows them their individual responsibility for something their nation had done crucifying the son of God this world has rejected the saviour the son of God and each individual in the world needs to come to him in repentance for their individual sins and turn by faith to the son of God as the slaying of the heifer shows that it had to die for the sins committed by the nation because all have sinned 
and come short of the glory of God you know when the heifer was slain it says going back to Deuteronomy it says and the priests in verse 5 and the priests you read in verse 4 that the heifer was slain strike off the heifer's neck there in the valley and then once the blood had been shed it says and the priests the sons of Levi shall come near shall come near it is only after the death of Christ that we have access to come near into the presence of God the elders washed their hands in water as an indication that they had been cleansed of the guilt of the crime because the heifer had been slain you know man cannot approach a holy God we cannot approach a righteous God until we accept first of all personally the responsibility of our sins and our rebellion against a holy and righteous God and acknowledge that before him these uh, people from the town they acknowledge the fact and they wash their hands then and then only does it say the priests shall come near we can only come close to God when we have access into his presence through the death and resurrection and finished work of Christ upon the cross our great high priest so we read in Hebrews 10:19 having therefore brethren boldness to enter into hold into the holiest by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way this was something completely different than what the Jews knew in the Old Testament this was a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh we because the, Christ, <coughs> the, the Lord Jesus Christ has died we come through the veil which was they have, the high priest had to go through the veil this big curtain and when Christ died upon the cross that curtain was rent and twain from the top to the bottom and now we have access into the presence of God through Christ it was pictured here as the veil and we can go through that veil to our high priest and having a high priest over the house of God let us draw near as these people in, in Deuteronomy could only draw near after the heifer had been slain we can only draw near to God when we accept the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on our behalf and we can go through that veil through him into the presence of God let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith 
having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. A picture of the men washing their hands in Deuteronomy. You know, these words were obviously spoken to the Jewish nation. Israel sadly today is in darkness the glory has departed someday we're talking about this there will come a time we believe it will be sooner rather than later that they will, will turn to their God and recognize their Messiah all the nations will turn against Israel there will be great hardship great period of terrible tribulation but then they will someday recognize their true Messiah but you know it's a good picture for us as well you know it's worth pointing out where we say that Israel hath sinned where Israel was considered as a unity in each assembly, in each church, in each group where Christians meet, we have a like responsibility for each member to each other member. No man liveth unto himself. When one member suffer, we all suffer. And when there is sin, the whole church of God suffers. May God help us to live more holy lives to his eternal glory.